Blog Talk Radio. I have an emergency. What is your location? Yes, good morning, and indeed there is. The war goes on, and it's intensifying, so let's pray. Father God, we thank you for good news. We thank you that you are the Redeemer. You are the judge, the righteous judge. You are good. You love us, and you're going to come and take us from this place, Lord, in a very short order. But now, for now, we ask for strength. We ask for wisdom and counsel. We ask God today that you would give us your eyes to see and your ears to hear and your heart to receive and understand the revelation of your spirit. We thank you, Lord God, and ask that your will be done in and through us, in and through our lives this day, even as it's being done and declared in heaven. Lord God, that we are your ambassadors on this earth, Lord God, sent here to bring the good news, to preach the gospel, to bear witness to your love, your truth, and the, and the, the assurance of your word, Father God, the faithfulness of your word. I pray, Father God, that even as you've already described and demonstrated to us through the death of Jesus Christ, your son, your great power, your great love, that we will get it, that we will receive it, Lord God, that you'll help us, Lord God, to become revived in the midst of this um, suffocation, Lord God, that the love of God will be revived in our hearts, Lord, and we'll recognize the truth. Lord God, I thank you, Jesus that you have given us power over all the power of the enemy, that nothing shall by any means hurt us. I thank you that the trials that we're in right now, we will see them as you see them from your point of view, in the point of truth and by the power of your spirit, and not take the devil's interpretation of them, Father God, nor manage them or try to control them or fix them or remedy them through the devil's uh, solutions, Father. We thank you for your word, Lord God. We thank you for your promise that no weapon formed against us will prosper, that no word said, no deed done, no action taken will be able to be used by the enemy to successfully do what he is trying to do, and that is to destroy us, but that instead all things will work together for good, and what he's trying to do right now will turn out for our great blessing and benefit, that you encourage each one of your people today with the restoration, with an answer to prayer, with the assurance of your love, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, may I speak as the oracles of God? There's so much to say. There's so little time. Uh, the vindication of God. You know, a lot of times we talk about ourselves being needing to be vindicated, and we have psalms that cry out, Vindicate me, O God. Psalm 26.1, Examine me, O Lord. Um, prove me. Try my mind, my heart. Um, for your loving kindness is ever before my eyes. We We kind of think of ourselves as in constant need of being vindicated, justified, redeemed, rescued. And that's what the Psalms are just totally all about. Um, they're just, just packed full of these kinds of prayers of people in trouble, uh, putting their trust in God, trusting in him to save them from those who are persecuting them. Um, Psalm uh, 7 verse 8 says, O Lord, um, the Lord shall judge the people, the people's. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to my integrity within me. O let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. You see, we, we, so we have this idea of judgment and vindication 
uh, and we're crying out for vindication. The, the dictionary defines vindication, whether it's for, uh, for us or of God being vindicated, uh, is, is the word vindication or vindicate means to show uh, someone or something to be blameless, to clear someone's name, to clear someone's name uh, from blame or guilt or suspicion or doubt, uh, to show someone is justified or just and correct, to uphold something, to defend something, to maintain a, a, the cause of righteousness or cause and rights of others, to claim and to, um, to claim to set free, to avenge. So vindication is um, the evidence or the argument used to clear someone's name, especially in a court of law or in a, in a type of logical um, argument um, from judgment, from accusation. So, but, and so the, the word talks about there being injustices, there being accusations, reproaches, crimes, things that are totally not fair, not right. And, and I tell you what, everybody is suffering them. Everybody. I mean, even from the little guys who are playing baseball and their coaches are playing favorites and not letting them have their chance at the, at the game or, or from an unjust parent who's accusing their child of being responsible for their debt load or their burdens uh, to in, in this society where uh, the, the righteous judgments of God, that the truth is being slammed in the street and, perversions on every side are being lifted and elevated as righteous and true. It's just like uh, the only word I can think of, and it's a pretty weak word actually is shocking. It's absolutely shocking. But the thing is in the end, the word vindication actually for the righteous brings in tremendous hope, tremendous to the point of tears, because at that point, everything that you were accused of doing that you didn't do, everything the devil accused you of, everything you felt guilty about, everything that you thought God was mad at you for is all going to be straightened out. And there will be the, the love will be restored and revealed. So the, the, from the word vindication, we also get the word vindictive. Now vindictive is a kind of a, we all know he's so vindictive. He just wants to get even. He wants more than justice. He wants it to go back to his side and him to be uh, blessed for his, in unrighteous behavior, vengeful. It's looking for revenge on a desire or a desire for revenge, spiteful feeling or showing uh, things that are done um, through uh, the um, means to hurt someone in law. It means to punish using the uh, described dam- prescribed damages to award the court. Well, the court will award someone um, damages beyond or higher than the amount that was necessary to compensate the victim. So it's to get even beyond even, to get it pushed back over to my side. To accuse means to confront someone with a charge of having done something illegal or wrong or undesirable, to call someone into account or take someone to court. And this is kind of what the whole process, the war between God and Satan, is is a war of accusation. It's a war of um, untruths and and, uh vindications, injustices, uh, crimes that are committed against the righteous. And as you can see through all of the Psalms, David, the various psalmists, they're saying the righteous cry out to you, uh, Psalm 34, verse 17. It's always about seeming like we're the ones on the short end of the stick and we're the ones in trouble and we're the ones who are trying to, um, you know, get vindication or I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Um, 
he, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is near to all those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. And then it says many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Um, the Lord redeems the soul of his servants and none of those who trust in him will be con- condemned. This is the theme. Plead, verse, Psalm 35 very clearly uh, verse one, plead my cause, O Lord, with those who strive with me, fight against those who fight against me. And this seems to be take hold of shield and buckler, stand up for my help, you know, take my side. Um, what we're doing here, what's happening here is there's an accuser. We know this, and that would be the enemy, the devil, who is accusing us of wrongdoing. He actually is the one who sets us up to do the wrongdoing by choosing to sin or believing the lie and choosing to sin, believing and using the devil's solutions to the problems that the devil has set up, which then conceals the, the true intention and makes us look like the bad guy. So we go back to God and plead our case, ask God to plead our case, delivering. It says, Lord, who is like you, delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him? Yes, the poor and the needy from him who plunders him. Um, the, you know, the, the, my righteous cause, Lord God, deliver me. Um, Psalm 35 verse 12 says, um, um, they reward me evil for good and to the sorrow of my soul. We just have plenty of things to, to weep about, plenty of things to be in trouble about down here. How long, O Lord, will you look on, rescue me from their dis- destruction, my precious life from the lions? Um, it, it's just a battle. And yet the battle is not just ours. It's not just that we need God to protect us and vindicate us. There's also a place where, um, you know, we need, God needs us to, he needs to be vindicated before us. If you look in um, Psalms, some of the Psalms talk about, and we are familiar with these stories, but like Psalm 78, it talks about um, in the wilderness, when God had led the people out of Egypt into the wilderness and they were stuck in the wilderness, they got hungry, they got thirsty, they got tired, they got crabby, and they began to murmur against God. And this is Satan's second ploy in his double-edged strategy against humankind and against God, because all of the war is about one thing. It's not about war. War is not about war. War is about love and truth. It's what it's about. It's about love. And because God declared himself in the very beginning to be love, God is love. And he created us in his image to know that love, to respond and be in relationship to him and respond to that love. Satan became extremely furious and jealous over the love and the attention that God has had and was bestowing upon us. And so he has a bone to pick with God. Every time God would bless someone like was Job or Abraham or, you know, whoever it was the enemy, Moses, for example, God, the devil would come to contest God's right to bless that person because he would either find some flaw or make up something that he would take to God and use as a way to present his argument to God that God did not have a right or God was unjustly favoring uh, that person. For example, we know well the story of Job where uh, I've told this too many times, but it's a very important background. It's a very important foundational principle. Job, God was blessing him. Job was a righteous man. He was obeying the commandments. He was doing things right. And because of it, 
he was receiving a righteous man's reward. Things were reward. Things things were going very well for him, and he was blessed. And um, so then. Satan came before God and, and, and challenged him, of course, and said, you're just giving him everything um, because and you're spoiling him. And so Satan says, let me test him. So that's where that test began with Satan's challenge to God to prove that Job really loved God. But in the end, the, tr- the test flips. And so God is being put in the position of being judged by Job, by Abraham, was God going to be judged by, for example, Abraham, who when, and this story is told in the book of Joshua, um, when Satan came before the, before the heavenly courts and said to God, Abraham has not even talked to you since you gave him Isaac. He obviously prefers Isaac over you. And so Satan again was testing and, and challenging and saying to God, you know what? They don't really love you. They don't really love you. They just love you for what you give them. And, you know, if you stop giving them stuff, they'll forget about you. Because here it is, Abraham hasn't even invited you to the big weaning party. You know, when the children were weaned, they had a big celebration, like a birthday party. And um, he'd invited all the kings and the famous people around him, friends, etc. But he had not invited God, supposedly. Satan said to God, tell him to kill Isaac. Now, it's not like Satan is telling God what to do. I mean, yes, he is telling God what to do, but God does not have to do it. But God can do it. Why can God do it? Because he can, because he can pull it off. He can fix it. He can, he can be just with the devil. Okay. You want this? You don't think this is true. You don't think Abraham really loves me. Okay. Let's go for it. Then you think that the Abraham's love for me is fake based on, you know, just what, what he can get. Okay. So that's the deal. Satan begins to challenge God and his ability to keep us. We've talked about that before too. And so what ends up happening when we are being under pressure and tested in our, the trial of our faith, because we're in a love relationship with God, think about it. If you have, you're in a love relationship, you have a, a girlfriend, you have a boyfriend, you have a husband, wife, you, you have a child and you're everything that's good in this world is based on love. It's based on that there being a truth, uh, of faithfulness, uh, trusting that no matter what, what is said or what rumors are told, no matter what charges are pressed, no matter what vindictive, jealous, uh, scathing reports are given about the one you love, you're still going to believe you love them and they love you and that's a bunch of garbage that the enemy is trying to tell you about them. However, if the, the enemy can persuade you to, to bring in doubt or division or confusion, double-mindedness, and, and begin to judge God. For example, if God is love and God has given us, you know, these great and precious promises, but the devil is doing everything in his power during his time, for this is the time of the enemy. Um, this is his day. This is his hour. This is his world right now. He is doing every, everything he can to discourage us, to create doubt. Um, And through that discouragement and through the difficulties of your life, through the lack of, 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 of means or support or bad things that happen, he can begin to create through these difficulties, bitterness. Bitterness is anger, injustice, murmuring against God as they did in the wilderness. And it says that they sinned even more against him in Psalm 78, 17 by rebelling against the Most High in the wilderness. And they tested God in their hearts 
by asking for food, the food of their fancy. Yes, they spoke against God, and they said, can God prepare a table in the wilderness? Behold, so he's, they're, they're, they're um, starting to allow the murmuring, the confusion, the questioning. That's exactly what the devil tries to do with us. He brings, uh, de- he brings deprivation. They were thirsty. They were hungry. They hadn't had meat for a long time. So God allowed them to present their request, and they, he gave them the answer, and they ate, it says in verse 29, and they were filled. For God gave them their own desires. They were not deprived of their cravings. But while their food was still in their mouth, the wrath of God came upon them and slew the strongest, stoutest among them and struck them down, the choicest of them. Why were they testing God and why did the wrath of God come? Or was it the wrath of God? Or was it that the enemy said, ah, see, they pressed into God. They pushed God. They wanted, they, they, they doubted God. They were feeling distant. How many times do we feel distant? And then we disobey. We murmur. We step over the line. We transgress. We sin. We go along with the craving. The minute they went in, they went with cravings, lust. Uh, and the perversion, the minute they did that, then Satan was free to bring a judgment upon them. And he did. It says the wrath of God came upon them. That was the wrath of God that Satan had the just, it was justified in using because they had sinned against God. It's almost like he's like the little hall monitor of life. You know, I mean, the minute you step out of line, the hall monitor cracks you with the ruler. And it's just like, okay, now God's mad at me. So we get that just really pays into uh, plays into the devil's trying to get us to believe that God hates us. God's mad at us. And yet, if you look, if you read the Psalms, it's just all about the war between uh, us and, and, and the devil and us crying out to God. God, help us. God, help us. God, help us. And he does. He does. He does. Why does he do that? He says, oh, do not remember the former iniquities. Let your tender mercies come speedily to me. Um, for we have been brought very low. Help us, O God, of our salvation, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and provide atonement for our sins. These people understood, and I don't believe David was just praying against King Saul. I believe this is our prayer. Restore us, O God. Cause your face to shine upon us. This thing, it's like, it's like the clouds. We have a cloudy day. We have a sunny day. We have a cloudy day. We have a sunny day. We have rain. We have this. All the, the weather's kind of like our spiritual life. There's good days, bad days. There's doubt. There's, there's trials. There's tribulations. There's but in everything, everything, everything. We got to know that underneath and beyond and, and above and surrounding and the, the, the foundation stone to all of this is that God is good. God loves us. God does not lie. And God is faithful to his promises. And it's all about God. So when you and I are, are whipped around by the tornado and we say, why me, God? And what did I do, God? Abraham, going back to him, did not say, oh, what's wrong with you, God? What is your problem today that you're going to have me kill Isaac? Are you serious? What is going on with you? I can't believe you just asked me to do that. You, you know, I can't do that. I'm just going to have to take this. I'm going to have to make my own executive decision here. No. Abraham was already very pliable in the hands of the Lord. He'd seen many, many great things God had done for many great things. I mean, he'd won huge battles, battles where he should have never won, where he was way outnumbered. He'd seen God provide. 
He's seen God deliver him from Egypt and from Pharaoh. He's seen, um, you know, his, his, uh, you know, his flocks and his herds, the wealth, the finances multiply. And he'd seen God promise, bring the promised son. He'd seen God forgive him. And so he wasn't ready to, to say, you know, God, I got to take matters into my own hands. He actually went up to the mountain and said, when Isaac asked him, where's the, where's the sacrifice? God, he, Abraham said, God will provide. So you see this, the, the, the patience of Abraham, the patience of Job, and not making a judgment against God. And how many of us, you know, we, we really do. We really do. I mean, it just grieves my heart to see how quickly we murmur against God. We say, well, where was God? Why did God let this happen? I thought God was with me, for me. Good. He is. But what is happening with the, uh, the advancement of evil and our incredibly increased, um, the, the, the scales have been tipped, actually. There isn't any going back at this point. No, there's not going to be a super revival of earth like some people think. I, 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 we're going to be revived in the, the love of God, the power of God, the truth of God is going to be, be revived in the hearts of individuals. But the the majority of Earth's population has already been tipped against God, and it's it's sad. I, can I say? But there is a purpose. There is a plot. The people, I should say, I should back that up and say, the people, the elite, the Illuminati, those who have, who run the world, the balance is tipped. They will not turn back. And because they are in control, and God is permitting them to be in control, because God said this is the way it's going to be. So that my son can come back, this has to be, we have to go through this. Jesus had to go through the cross. We have to, you know, endure these afflictions as well. But the, the revival will come in the revival of love. In the last days, the Lord said, you, they will know you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. Love is the most powerful of all the weapons. It is, it is the only one that can defeat fear and hatred. But in this process of being smothered and suffocated, the love receptor sites in our, in our lives have been shut down. It's like we don't feel anymore. We, can't, uh, we don't get passionate about anything anymore. We're dead. We're just going through the motions. We're so busy just trying to survive from get, to get from Monday to Friday. And then Friday night, you know, we kind of let up and, and relax and crash or try to live all the rest of our week that we didn't we have to catch up on the weekend. And we don't take time to read or meditate or pray or be quiet. And so we're being dehumanized, you know, to the point where we're becoming indifferent. We're uh, getting disconnected from the love and life of God. So if we begin to judge God as being disinterested or dead and or gone, I mean, some, you know, we have all these kinds of possible scenarios. Then who's left? What's left? What's left for us? but to be on our own. And of course that's easy pickings for the devil. There is no, no, no contest there. So we see summarizing a bit that we are, we are being judged. Satan is testing us. The people tested God. They tried God in their hearts. They, they were told to keep the commandments. They tested him. They, they didn't keep the commandments that puts God in an awkward position what is he going to do now? You know, he said to keep the commandments. Well, God said to keep them so that we would stay in the place of blessing. But if we 
disobey, what we're actually doing is testing or tempting God or putting God in a very difficult position because now he has to let the devil come in and bring judgment against us and punishment and penalty and bad things, which pushes us further down into the murmuring against God and, and seeing it as God is doing all this stuff because we're already believing that we broke God's commandments and he's mad at us. So this is this. So then we're now, now we flip it over and we, in our murmuring are judging God. We're judging God. So, it's just a and isn't it interesting? The only one who isn't getting judged here is the devil. How interesting is that? So, but let's take a quick moment here to just kind of look at how this got started in the beginning when um, the first trial, the first temptation, the first test was set up in mankind. The heavens shook, Satan fell. The war in heaven was ended, but the war on earth had just begun. I dare you to let me test them. Would you test them to find fault with me? Let them choose for themselves whom they will serve. Perfect disguise. So subtle, and yet alluring. (laughs) You will be more like him. That is why he has marked it as separate. More like him. Mm-hmm. Here. Delicious. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see? Nothing to fear. But I am afraid of one thing. Oh, what is it, my darling? What about Adam? Adam, where are you? Adam. You lied to us. It's time you all suffer like he made me suffer. Those two are guilty and they will pay. Unless one can be found who is willing to pay the penalty for them. I demand my rights to a fair trial to determine my rights. You shall have your trial in the very hearts and souls of those you so freely seek to destroy. Well, then let them judge this matter. Let the accused become the judge, and the judge become the accused. That's the beginning of the story. Let them be, let them be the accused. Let God be the accused. Satan is accusing everybody to vindicate himself, and so the, the the war between God and Satan is summed up basically in the determination to prove that God that Satan wants to prove to God that we won't love him, that we won't that we don't love him, and that no one is ever going to love him or accept his gifts, much less declare our love for him to the point of laying, laying down our lives. That, that's Satan's bottom line. God is love. God created us to respond to that love. And Jesus talked about that in John 14. We can look at that in a minute. But So the bottom line in the war for the souls of men is that um, God cannot be vindicated in his love for us unless we return that love, unless we receive that love and respond to that love. And so what's happening 
is the enemy is, is really pushing, pressing his case uh, with all kinds of cheating. I mean, he just cheats constantly to make it look like he's right and God's wrong. But so if he can get us to not respond to God's love, not keep his commandments, grow weary in well-doing, murmur and complain, become bitter, hold grudges, then he can ultimately say, God, see, it did not work. I was stronger than you. I was able to destroy your love. And if, if the love of God, if, if love is destroyed, then God is not vindicated and the devil wins. When fear prevails, the devil wins. When fear is in your heart, the devil is winning. Perfect love casts out fear. And so fear says God won't come out. He won't show up. He won't be there. He's going to let me down. Um, I'm on my own. That's what fear says. But the love of God says, I'm with you. I will never leave you. I've got this. This is my battle. It's not your problem. Let me have it. I'll do it for you. So when Jesus came in John 14 uh, through 16, he begins to talk about some things that he kind of turns a little bit from, um, well, I think John, the whole gospel of John is really way more. Uh, it's not so much about what he did is what he said and what he showed us and what he was teaching us. Um, he says in verse 14, uh, John chapter 14, verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So we, when we think about commandments, first word that comes to our mind is 10 commandments, but he had given them a new commandment. This is my commandment that you love one another. All the law is fulfilled in this, that you love one another. Then he said to them, okay, there's going to be a lot of offenses, a lot of crimes, a lot of injustices. Hang tight, guys. Here's what you do. You forgive. What does that mean? You give me the crime. Turn it over to me. Release the judgment to me. Don't judge them because you don't know the whole story. You know, he, we don't wrestle against uh, human beings, but against flesh and uh, against the powers and principalities. He says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So the enemy is trying to provoke us through the flesh and blood of one another to press charges, to take a, each other to court, to uh, withhold love. It's all about withholding love. I'm mad at you. I'm going to stay mad at you. You don't deserve my love. I'm not going to talk to you. Guys, is any of that worth going to hell over? Seriously, get, get rid of it. Change your mind. Stop. Confess. Let, tell the spirit of pride and self-righteousness to go take a hike. You, you have a right to go to heaven. You have a right to decide whether or not you're going to confess, repent, and receive the revelation and love of Jesus Christ or not. The devil doesn't get to make that decision in you. However, most of you are letting the devil run your mind and your heart. God says, walk in the spirit. He says, the heart is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And the mind needs to be transformed by the renewing of it through the word of God, Romans 12, 1 and 2. So the thing is, we can't use and rely upon our mind or our, our emotions or our heart or our experiences. We must go back to the word of God. People, Nothing else is, any, is, is as important to you right now as understanding what we're talking about here in the Word of God, getting back to the basics of knowing you're loved, keeping His commandment. His commandment is love. So when, this is it. If you love me, God says, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, I will come and manifest myself to you. We'll join together. If you, you're going to help me. You're going to vindicate me, God says, by loving me. That's going to vindicate me. And when I'm vindicated, you're going to be vindicated. Because we're together. He's not in this for himself. The justice that we long for, the righteous judgments of God that we cry out for, are tied to his vindication. When we say, God, vindicate me, 
we won't be vindicated if he's not vindicated and if he's not vindicated in the fact that love prevails by us proving our love for him by being faithful and obeying him, then nobody gets vindicated but the devil. Now, we know that is not going to happen. However, we don't know who is going to be taken and gathered up into God's vindication, into God's love, unless you choose to believe the truth of God's word. And right now, the truth of God's word is is being obscured. The darkness is coming and trying to take it away. But God is faithful. He is faithful to us. He's faithful to complete the work he's begun in us. In all circumstances, he is faithful to bring us back home to heaven because we want to be where he is. We belong to him. He belongs to us. To be his and to belong to the Most High is to be a precious part of his family, you know, to be his sons and daughters. This is no small thing. This is no small thing. I mean, I don't care what position or praise this earth can give you. They cannot bestow upon you the, 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 the most precious thing that you already have. Satan cannot give you anything better than what you already have. What Eve already had was better than anything Satan promised to give, give her. However, because she did not realize or understand or comprehend what she already had, she was willing to settle. And in settling for the devil's lie, you will not die and you will be like God. She got snared and trapped and the whole human race got caught under the sway of the evil one. We, don't, we already are redeemed and we accepted Jesus. You say, well, yeah, yeah, but I backslid. Well, so that's come back. You don't have to stay back out there. You don't have to believe the lie. You don't have to believe that this is never going to, you know, it's too late. That's a lie. It's not too late. The love, love is more, love prevails. Love is, ne- it's never too late for love. So know that you already have and belong to God. And what we have in him is more precious than anything Satan can ever promise you or give to you. And whatever Satan gives you is all temporary anyway. We've entered into a covenant with God. We belong to him. He belongs to us. All that he has is ours. But in that covenant, we also have entered into the fellowship of his suffering. And Paul says, he wanted to own, to know the fellowship of his suffering in Philippians. He says, to know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering. That means that Jesus suffered for us. That means love suffers. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never, never fails. But love also suffers. A lot of people want love, but they don't want the suffering. They want the good feelings, but they don't want the, the commitment. They don't want the, the, the you know, the, the oh, what's the word? When things get really tough, you just continue to go on and believe. You continue to believe. You continue to hold on to the promise of love, that it is good, that it is worth fighting for. How many of us are, worth, are, are fighting for our children or our, our, our loved ones? They're worth fighting for. Why? Because you love them. And in fighting for them, believing for them, uh, suffering because of them, you're suffering because you love them. God is suffering. We're entering into the fellowship of his suffering. That's what the covenant is about. And don't be surprised when suffering comes and hardships come into your life, because that is part of what the, pro- the process of qualifying us to be joint heirs with Jesus Christ is. It's about love. It's about suffering. It's about enduring. Love, you know, never fails. It's about not failing. So when we suffer, people say, oh, you must have sinned. You must have done something wrong. Uh, yeah, some suffering comes out of foolishness. Yeah, the Bible talks about that in First and Second Peter. Um, but many things, um, you know, love uh, 
really only counts when we love, not when we're doing something that looks like love because we're afraid. Giving things or doing things that are done out of fear or manipulation or coercion don't really count as love. That's why people who get saved because they're afraid of going to hell, they don't yet understand the depths of God's love and power. And that's why the Holy Spirit works in us to bring us to that place of receiving the love of God. I, I think a lot of people, when they get saved, they just get saved because they don't want to go to hell. And then the process begins. That doesn't mean you're not saved. It just means you don't yet understand. You know, little kids, when they're born into the world, they, they just behave because they don't want to get in trouble, right? Well, when they grow older, hopefully by the grace of God, they, they decide, I want to do this because it's the right thing to do, not because I'm going to get in trouble with my parents. So to be loved, love must be freely given. If the relationship, you know, is gained through conquest or enslaving, like Satan, do you think anybody really loves Satan? Do you really? I mean, they're so deceived, duped, and uh, they're smothered with all of his, lathered with his gifts and his blessings and his, his fame and fortune and finances and money to the point where they're afraid that if they stop, you know, following him, they'll have hell to pay. And, you, and they're kind of right. They will have hell to pay down here, but they could be saved in the end. So when, when we set up contracts with people, transactions, that's business. That's not love. God isn't a contract. He's not a, he's not a set of rules that you keep. It's not a, you know, it's not fear. If I don't do this, I'm going to be in trouble. Um, we surrender our will. We give freely to exchange all that we have for all that he has. That's the true covenant relationship. Um, and it brings trust. It brings integrity. It brings um, faith. It brings goodwill. And so this is what God's character's qual- his qualities are, is goodwill, peace, love, joy. And he's been so slandered, so slandered. I mean, even the word of God. Because it's a record of the many things God had to do throughout history, Plin, to bring things back on track, to uh, correct our course when we were off course, um, he has been, he has been um, judged as being harsh, wrathful, uh, vindictive, um, un, unpeaceful, you know, not peace-loving. And the devil looks like the, the, the sweet, lovely best friend you've ever had, and he's not. So what does God need if God doesn't need anything? In all the world, he, he does need one thing. He needs to be vindicated because that's what we, you know. So when we judge God in our hearts, we're being tempted um, to judge God in light of what happens to us. Not in light of the word, not in light of the bigger picture, but in light of our little tiny world that Satan can make us look like. It's like putting a quarter in front of your eye and saying, there's no sun. There's no sun. I can't see a sun. It's dark. There's nothing. And your little tiny perception covered with that lie blackens or blinds you from all that truly is. Now, if you can look at, for example, the lilies are out these days. Look at a lily. Um, Does that look like a a mean, mad, angry God who made that lily? Uh, Seriously? Why would a mean, hateful, bloody God who just loves icky, horrible things that are terrible make lilies? and daisies, and puppies. Why would he do that? It's very contradictory, don't you think? And I do not believe God can contradict himself. That's another thing he cannot do. He cannot betray himself. He cannot betray the truth. That's good. He's not going to switch over in the end and become your enemy. He is true. He is the truth. 
so when God, uh, you know, we think that it's all based on us, on our behavior. Well, some of it is, but our behavior comes out of what we choose to believe. So we're constantly being, like I said, tempted to judge God in light of what happens to us. But we think, well, if good things are happening to me, we're tempted to believe that we must be good. We did good things. And that's the world's version of karma. But if something bad happens to us, we begin to cry out, oh, why me, God? What did I do, God? That's not fair, God. We search for the curse. We search for the cause. We assume it's because we did something wrong. Not always is that the conceit from Job. We, we can see that from Abraham. It's not, it, it, otherwise it doesn't make any sense. It, you know, craziness. The, this way people don't read the Bible because to them it's kind of quite crazy. It doesn't make any sense. Um, because it looks like God is contradictory to himself. He's mad. He's always punishing people. Um, so here's the problem around again. We either begin to judge ourselves as doing something wrong and bad and deserving of punishment that the devil then allows him to bring more punishment upon us and we attribute it to God. And then again, then now we're judging God for not having mercy on us. It's just like a vicious circle. We have to step out of the circle and see what God says. Our confidence in God's love for us is tempted to be shaken, threatened by the negative circumstances. So we see the thing is very, uh, very much centered on what God said. Jesus said in First John chapter four. He says, um, I'm "Sorry, Jesus." John said this actually. The word says this. Um, John four, First uh, John chapter four. Um, verse 14, and we have seen and tested, testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Okay? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is God's intent, God's motivation. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. There are no more stipulations to that. There's no more caveats to that. There's no more conditions. It's just simply this. If you confess that Jesus is the Son of God, that he laid down his life, died on the cross, rose from the dead, God abides in him. God abides in the one who confesses that. And he, the one who confesses that, abides in God. And we have known and believe the love that God has for us. There's the bottom line. There's the bottom line belief of faith, believing that God loves us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. If you abide in love, you're going to love one. We're going to love one another. If we abide in love, we're going to abide in faith and peace and trust and hope and knowing that God is love. God is good. God loves us. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Guess what? As he is, so are we in this world. God is love. We are love because God needs to be vindicated. He will vindicate us as we love him. There is, therefore, no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. It's all about, does this make any sense? Does this look like what's going on out there? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It doesn't look like a bit of love out there at all. 
It doesn't look like God is good, faithful, or even here. It looks like every bad thing that could possibly happen is is about to happen. And yet God is saying, hold on, trust me, I've got this. That's the only place, love. And looking up, Jesus said, when you see all this come to pass, look up, for your salvation draws nigh. Look up. Don't judge yourself. Do not judge yourself. Paul says, I don't judge my own self. He says, if I did, I don't know anything against myself, but that really doesn't validate me or or, uh, vindicate me. He says, but God will judge everything and, and don't judge anything before the time. Just say, Lord, you know, you know my heart. Don't judge yourself. Guilt will judge you. Condemnation will judge you. Irresponsibility will judge you. Reason will judge you. Everybody will judge you if you let them. You don't need to be judged. You need to know that God is the judge, and he isn't judging quite yet. He is holding back his judgment. The devil's got a lot to say about you right now. I wouldn't listen to him. He hasn't got anything good to say about us. Big love casts out fear. So when we understand that this is a deep battle and it's all about the war is all about love, we can start to understand why the devil is so desperate to get us to believe the spirits of accusation, the liar, the religious spirits who try to trick us into trying to make our life all about us, all about getting rid of our sin, our bad behavior, all about self-improvement, all about self-help. Um, the devil is getting us to try to focus on our sin. And that is actually a super distraction from the true source and center of all things necessary to, to salvation, which is the sun. When you're looking at your sin and it's all about sin, it's all about church. You know, the churches aren't preaching about the son of God. They mix that message with the be good message and people come out of there saying, mm, I don't know if I'm saved or I need to get saved again, or maybe I'm not saved, or maybe I had a false conversion. All of this doubt because the fruit of the gospel of Jesus Christ is righteousness, peace, and joy. It's confidence. It's knowing it's wisdom. It's counsel. It's strength. It's love. It's It's courage. What happens when people listen to the gospels that they hear in the church? How do they come out of there? confused, distracted, not edified, uh, not interested in really in going back, feeling intimidated, feeling um, uh, frustrated, uh, feeling guilty. You know, I got to give, I got to do this, I got to do that, I got to do more, never enough. And this message does not bring forth the fruit of peace. And so you see in the churches these days, they're not really preaching this gospel of God is love. You say, well, we can't, Paul says, well, (laughs) shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He's saying, oh, do we dare talk about love? Do we dare talk about grace? Because if we do that, people are going to start to sin more. They're going to take advantage of this uh, free loading society, whatever, free wheeling, you know, free love thing. And, you know, they're going to go off the deep end. So we have to keep corralling them. We have to keep building pens. We have to keep making them uh, aware of their sin when when it, when it becomes part of you the love of god it's automatic it's inside of you it's the spirit of god walking in the spirit the the carnal man is rendered powerless and ineffective the new man rises up who walks in righteousness peace and joy and then we know then we come to know to live is christ 
in him I live and move and have my being. We need to be converted. There needs to be a trans, uh, a, a conversion, a translation, uh, a transformation of, of who we are, who we think we are, who we were told we were, who we learned to be, who the devil taught us we were through the pit, through our experiences in the pit, into being who we are when we're made by God to be, to be more than conquerors, to uh, to go uh, forward in the confidence, the power, and the faith of God. And, you know, when you sin, get tricked even after you're saved, even after you're a saint. Paul was saying, even in Romans 7, if I'm doing what I don't want to do, it's not me doing. He says, oh, wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death. So he was saying, yes, I'm saved. For sure I'm saved. But there's still this war going on inside of me, the one who wills to be good. And therefore, I'm not doing what I want to do. I'm not performing what I want to perform. He says, there's something holding on to me, managing me, programming me, controlling me. And I need deliverance from that thing. And that deliverance comes in two different ways. Um, We call the slow process sanctification, which is simply obeying, walking in the word of God, reading the word, listening to the Holy Spirit, who gives you the right interpretation of it, walking in God, walking in peace. Or the second way is through deliverance. Get the devil out, get the demons out. Christians, yes, they can have controlling spirits in them. Absolutely. How do you know that? Well, Okay, are you doing something you don't want to do right now? Okay, if you're doing something you don't want to do, like just pick something you're doing that you don't know. And you know it's not good, not right. It's not healthy. It's not you. That's not what you want. So if you're doing something you don't want to do, then who is doing it in there if you're not doing it? If you don't want to do it, Paul says, if I'm doing what I don't want to do, it's not me doing it. So who in there is doing that? Who's got you by the tail? Who's got you, you're, you know, controlling your mind? Who's putting those pictures in your, in your head? Who's putting, corrupting your, your, who's making your body sick? Do you want to be sick? Do you want that tumor? Do you want that? No. Well, then who's doing that if you don't want it? You say, well, it's just life. It's just, it is, just is. That's not a good enough answer. That's not a good enough answer to go forward with. There's something going on. Be, look at what God says. Why do you not want to look, listen to what God says? Why do you always want to listen to what you say and make an excuse or listen to reason? Because you're so familiar with the reason. Reasoning all about, you know, your mind. Got to figure it out. Got to fix it. Why do you keep going to your mind for the answer? Your mind can only think. I think it's going to be okay. I think it's tomorrow. That's doubt. Your mind can never give you the right answer for sure. But why are we going to think about what God has already given us the courage to know in our spirits? I, I don't get it. Because we've been taught to think. We don't know we have a spirit. We don't know we can walk in the spirit. We think that that's relegated to the dark ages. We're postmodern. That was old. That's old age. Now we're in the golden age of, of robots and inhuman and transhuman and superhuman and don't need God and immortality on our own kind of thing. Uh, do you really believe that? Seriously? Do you see the, the bulk of the people that you know growing stronger and brighter and more vital and more life, full of life and getting younger? Or do you see them getting older? Do you see them wearing out? So far, they haven't figured it out, people. And if they do figure out this immortality thing, it's going to cost more money than you got. Only the rich elite. See, they think they're going to live forever without, minus God. Take God out of the picture. We don't want God. Well, they won't have to have God in the picture much longer because in eternity, I don't know if he's going to want to be in hell with them. I'm thinking that that's where they're, some people are going to hell. 
Yeah, they are. And you don't need to be one of them. As a matter of fact, God would plead with you not to be one of them. He pleaded with you on the cross not to be one of them. But he says, please do it my way. And so it's really a crazy thing. You know, God is trapped with us in, if, if God can be trapped, he's committed. He goes with us in our affliction. So he went with them through the wilderness. He goes with us. Jesus said, I'm with you. I will never leave you. I sent my Holy Spirit. So he's with us in the midst of this fiery trial, this ordeal to test our hearts, to test love. God goes with us in this midst of suffering and God suffers. When you suffer, God suffers. God doesn't like it when people are not fair to you. God doesn't like it when people are uh, slander you, when they don't give you what's rightfully. God doesn't like it when people are living on the streets and living in their cars. God doesn't like it when people are, are being destroyed with meth. God doesn't use it when little babies are born addicted to crack. God does not like that. God doesn't like it when you try to go to treatment and fail and then you go back to your drug and then end up in the street or homeless in poverty. God doesn't like it when you lose your, uh, your retirement portfolio. God does not like that. God doesn't like any of that. He doesn't want that. Who wants that? You don't want that. He doesn't want that. Who wants that? Well, why does the devil always get what he wants? Because we're, we believe lies because we go along with it is what it is, or there's nothing I can do about it or, Oh, well, or whatever, or I'll think about it. Don't give me that. I'll think about it. Don't think about nothing. Do something. You, you can do stuff. You don't have to think about it. You can know stuff. K-N-O-W stuff. Know it. You can know that you know what you know. You know a lot of stuff. You do because you're built by God to know it. In the beginning, God put it right in you. He, he was the first one who laid out the original programming, and it was to know the love of God, to know the truth, to walk in truth, uh, to not be afraid, to not walk in doubt, to resonate with truth, righteousness, justice, love. Why? Well, how do you know that? Well, I know that from the negative side of it, because when you and I, when we sin, we feel guilty. When things aren't fair, we get mad. Why would you get mad and, and, and feel guilty if you weren't built by God to recognize that those things were wrong in the first place? So come on, we're made in the image of God. Go back to that. Let the Holy Spirit bring you back to that. You can come back to that. You can be like those early disciples who gave their life for God. Love not their life unto death. They overcame Satan by the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony, and they love not their life to the death. I mean, you can't do nothing to stop that. That's love. That's power. That's I don't care what you can. You can't do anything to me. Only thing you do to me is hurt me a little while, and then I'm going to be with Jesus. You can't do anything, really. You can't take, you cannot make me. Love you, Satan. You can't make me afraid of you because God is with me. Satan says, oh, ho, ho, let me see if I can. I'm no match for the devil. You're no match for the devil. This love that God has put in us is the only thing. Let it, let God do it through you. Let God live your life through you. Let God walk in this victory through you. Let him complete the work in you. Let him make the choices walk in his wisdom, walk in his word. You can know and your spirit, his spirit will bear witness with your spirit. You say, well, how do I know? How do I know? I don't, how, how do I know if it's the spirit of God or not? Well, what does it reduce down to? If it reduces down to peace and joy and, and, and comfort and knowing that you're okay, that you're loved, it reduces down to heaven. It reduces down to God. If it reduces down to stress, fear, it's up to me and I don't know what's going to happen and I'm afraid. 
It reduces down to, so we're walking in the spirit. I believe that more and more people are going to start walking closer to God in the spirit of God. And ultimately, we are going to prove the devil wrong. We're going to prove him wrong. And we're going to prove the faithfulness of God by loving God, by receiving God's love. And Satan will not be justified in this war of rebellion against God. Because we are the ones who are going to choose and vote to restore, reinstate. God is the righteous judge. God is the righteous one. God is the eternal King of kings and Lord of lords. And even if you don't vote for God, he wins. How do you lose you? So you might as well win with God. The devil will lose forever. So we are now walking in these final hours. It's not about you, but it is about you. It's not about God, but it is about God. It's about being God, being vindicated in and through our love. And in that love for God, we are vindicated in him. And all of the trials and tests and troubles and tribulations are the war that goes on between God and Satan for the souls of men. So we thank God. We thank you, Lord, for the battle. It's yours. It's good. It's, 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 it's won. You won it. You finished it on the cross. And I pray, God, today that as we consider your word, you would comfort our hearts with your peace, your joy. We ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, by the way, if you want to check our blog site today, we're going to have an article, a blog out there called The Vindication of God. And it's black and white. Okay, God bless you guys. Have a super weekend. Be encouraged in the Lord. Amen.